Well, hello there, Bob Chrysler. And hello to you, Devin, and a very good afternoon to you. Yes, and good afternoon to everybody out there, and welcome to Insight Peterborough, which is a project of the Canadian Council of the Blind, the chapter here in Peterborough. And if you're wanting to find out more information about the CCB, Canadian Council of the Blind, all you have to do is send an email to ccbpeterborough at gmail.com and uh, there will have been a lot down at Peterborough Square this afternoon well morning and afternoon Bob because this is quite quite cane week yes so do you remember Hank Snow Bob I sure do yeah and I've seen him uh, live uh, many times and um, sometimes right in Peterborough here uh, and sometimes down at the Opry in Nashville. Okay. Well, I always try to look for some music that is appropriate to what we're going to be talking about. And the first um, a subject we're going to be talking about is the coronavirus. I thought that we should get a local perspective on it. So I looked through my folders and that to try to find... I thought, how on earth am I going to find something that's kind of appropriate? Um, And so I found this song by Hank Snow called The Engineer's Child. And uh, in it, um, it kind of starts out sad, but it ends up happy. And uh, and then um, we'll speak with Nathan Koopman, who is a nurse um, with the uh, public health department here in Peterborough. He came to my uh, home this afternoon and uh, chatted with me, and you will hear Frankie chewing on a bone. (laughs) I could control the phone ringing, and uh, I could control my computer and that sort of stuff, but I couldn't control Frankie chewing on a bone. (laughs) So anyway, A dog will be a dog. Oh, yes. Anyway, We'll start with uh, Hank Snow singing uh, The Engineer's Child, and then we'll um, go right into the uh, interview with Nathan Koopman. All right, then, Devin. A little child on a sick bed lay And a death was there in need She was the pride and the only child Of a railroad engineer His duty had called him from those he loved And seeing that hope He shed to his wife, he said, just to have two lanterns trim. Just hang a light as I pass tonight, hang it where it can be seen. If our baby's dead, just show the red 
if she's better than show the green in a little train went rushing by just one short look was his only chance to see the light a gleam in the midnight air there arose a prayer thank God the light was Just hang a light as I pass tonight Hang it where it can be seen If our baby's dead, just show the red If she's better, then show the green speaking with uh, Nathan Koopman, mm -hmm. who is uh, a nurse with the Peterborough Public Health Department. Thanks so much, uh, Nate, for coming on the show with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. And we're going to be uh, talking about the uh, coronavirus. Right. So what makes the coronavirus uh, any different from, say, something like a cold virus? So. It's very interesting that you phrased it like that, actually, um, just because coronavirus is a family of viruses. Uh -huh. um, there's seven different species of this family, oh. um, and four of those species actually cause um, the common cold, and they circulate globally. And um, a lot of times when you have a cold, you could have a coronavirus. Um, and then there's three other species, which I'm sure you're more aware of. One is SARS, um, which created the epidemic in 2003 and 2004. Um, the other one was MERS-CoV, um, which is more associated with contact with camels in Saudi Arabia, um, which I believe showed its head in 2013, I want to believe. Mm -hmm. And then there's obviously the novel coronavirus 2019, which we're talking about here today. Um, what makes the novel uh, coronavirus different than any other coronavirus is right there in the name, yeah. um, novel coronavirus. So novel means it's new, and when we have a new virus, um, especially a coronavirus which um, will jump from animals to humans, um, it being a new virus means uh, two things essentially. Uh, the first thing is because it's new, um, nobody has any antibodies to it. Um, so our immune system hasn't seen it before, um, so it's a little bit more likely to cause an infection. There's no history of immunity to the virus. The other piece is because it's new, we don't know a lot about it yet. Um, the strides that we're making though, however, in just a short amount of time are amazing. Um, they decoded the entire virus's genome within 10 days. Um, 
We're aware of signs and symptoms. We've established case definitions for the virus. We have systems in place in Canada, just in case, um, well, in the event, and it has happened, that cases do come to Canada. Um, all these systems and structures through Public Health Agency of Canada and Public Health Ontario and our local health units, they're all in place and ready, uh, ready to be activated. Okay, that's, yeah. that's great. That's very reassuring exactly thing, right? yeah and yeah. this yeah and um, it's nice to know just because a lot of people aren't aware that these systems are in place yeah. um we, we plan for um any potential epidemics or um any potential pandemics um which we actually see annually uh with influenza right um so we have all these structures in place mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you've already kind of uh, explained how the uh, virus different differs from SARS, yeah. or something like that. Um, uh, do you think that uh, eventually the uh, virus might someday get a its own name? <laughs> you, you don't think novel coronavirus twenty nineteen is catchy enough? No. no. <laughs> um, so it's interesting, and actually this will uh, make another connection to SARS, is um, SARS had a name before we knew what it was. Ah. Um, so what we were seeing in um, Southeast Asia was um, these individuals who were coming into the hospital with pneumonia, um, but they weren't sure what the pathogen was or what kind of virus it was, but it had a name. They called it SARS, and the World Health Organization actually named it. And that was um, a strategic move on their end, just because when they provided a name, it doesn't give, you know, the media um, the opportunity to provide a name that might yeah. be you know discriminatory or offensive yes. to a certain population yeah. um, I know there actually is um, a committee for the taxonomy of viruses oh. um, I'm not sure if they're going to meet to adjust uh, for an to adjust a new name for the novel coronavirus mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if there's any you know contests or naming contests for the new coronavirus <laughs> um, so at this time I'm not sure I think we're sticking with uh, novel coronavirus 2019. Ah, uh, okay. All right. Oh, well, we'll just have to, it, yeah, get used exactly. to the name. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll find a short form eventually. Yeah. So if someone is feeling ill, what kind of, uh, what might the, um, uh, make them kind of suspicious that it might be this particular virus? Um, more than a cold. Yeah. So, for it to be more than a cold, I don't want to say it's far more likely because it's probably extremely more likely um, that it's actually the flu. Um, the odds that it is this novel coronavirus, especially for an individual who's been in Peterborough and has been in Peterborough for you know the past month, is so the risk is so low. Um, so I'm going to start with the flu, just because it's far more likely to okay. be that organism. Um, the difference between uh, a flu and the cold um, is how intense the uh, the symptoms are felt and how commonly they appear. Um, so flu symptoms typically appear quickly and they're a lot higher in severity. Um, I'm sure anybody who's actually had the flu knows that it knocks you on your butt pretty good and you um, will probably be down for a couple of days. You're typically bedridden. Um, a fever is more often associated with the cold as well, uh, or sorry, with the flu as well than a cold is, um, as well as more severe body aches and pains. Um, and then headache can be more severe um, with the flu than with a cold. Yeah. Um, for this novel coronavirus, um, we have specific case definitions that are set out by the Ministry of Health in Ontario. Um, so for the novel coronavirus, you have to have a fever or a cough 
within travel to the province of Hubei in China okay. um, within the past 14 days, or you need to have had direct contact, and I mean close contact, with a confirmed case. Right. Um, I want to put in a disclaimer here, just because this is a novel coronavirus, new information is coming out all the time. Um, so the information I provide you today, for example, this case definition with travel to the province of Hubei may be different than, say, um, the case definition in a week or something like that. Right. Um, and information is always being updated, and you can always check in on this information um, with Peterborough Public Health and with the Ministry of Health and Public Health Ontario. Okay. All right. I'll just interrupt uh, uh, myself uh, momentarily to say that the sound effects in the background are my bad dog, Frankie. <laughs> We're sitting here at my dining room table. Yeah. So. <laughs> so in guarding against a, a virus like this, would uh, the care you uh, take be any different than uh, the care you uh, take you know, to avoid another virus? The name of the game is pretty much the same. Um, essentially, you want to focus on one proper hand hygiene. Um, you want to focus on isolating yourself if you are ill. That would be staying home when you're sick. Um, that would also include um, covering your cough and proper cough protection, um, whether it's with your elbow if you don't have any tissues, using a tissue if you do have some, as well as disposing of those tissues. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the old hits when it comes to protection against viruses and things like that, but that's because they, they are the most effective at mm -hmm. the current time. I tend to like the bigger tissues, though, yeah. and I hate to throw them away I know after just one use. I know it seems wasteful, <laughs> but from an infection control perspective, yeah. that's best practice. Yes. So the, the smaller uh, tissues do have their place. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> single use. They're single yeah. use. <laughs> Let's stay away from hankies or things like that for right now. Yes. Yeah, no yeah. cloths we're tucking into our pocket or anything like that. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the feeling among public health uh, personnel about face masks? Face masks um, have their place. It depends on who you are. Um, if it's um, you or I and we're asymptomatic and we're walking downtown, um, face masks are a necessity. Um, essentially, the problem is a lot of individuals who are asymptomatic and are wearing it as a contact precaution um, may be, sorry, asymptomatic for those who don't know, is individuals who don't have symptoms. Right. If you don't have symptoms and you're walking around with a face mask, you may not be trained on how to properly, you know, remove your face mask. So, say uh, you yeah. come into contact with a sick individual, you take off your face mask, you throw it away, and then you touch your mouth anyways. Well, that was essentially yeah. no use yeah. out of the face mask. No. Um, they do have a purpose for individuals who are sick and are symptomatic and maybe have to go to their healthcare providers' offices okay. and you'll typically see signs and they'll let you know at reception that you know, if you are experiencing this acute respiratory illness, any of those symptoms, coughing, sneezing, sore throat, things like that, um, they will recommend that you put on a mask when you are in a waiting room. Okay. Um, and that is for individuals who have to go to appointments, things like that. Again, the recommendation is if you have a mild sickness, it is best practice that you stay home and self-isolate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you'd probably get a, be able to get a face, face mask at the doctor's Yes, office. they would have those ready for you, yeah. as well as extra hand sanitizer as well. Again, oh, yeah. practicing good hand hygiene is very important. Sure. Right. So as you know, Insight Peterborough's uh, main focus is on people with disabilities and their allies. Um, should preventive measures be any different? for uh, people with um, 
com compromised immune systems. So the steps you want to take to prevent infection are the exact same. You want to make sure you're hand sanitizing and practicing good hand hygiene. You want to make sure you have good cough protection. You want to make sure that you're self-isolating if you're sick, making sure you're not going to work or visiting family members if you're sick. The difference is, um, I always like to describe it as um, when you're practicing these infection prevention strategies, um, it's equivalent to, say, tightrope walking where if I were to go tightrope walking um, and say I mess up on my hand hygiene or something like that and I fall, um, as a healthy young individual, I have that immune system to protect me. Um, some individuals don't have that safety net or that um, healthy immune system to protect themselves, so if mm -hmm. they were to fall, um, the consequences can be a lot more severe. Um, so it's about if you are feeling unwell, making sure you are not coming into contact with immunocompromised individuals, um, such as the very old, elderly, or the young, as well as those individuals who have immunocompromising conditions. Yeah, mm -hmm. like uh, diabetes. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, or individuals who are receiving, say, chemotherapy treatment for cancer. Right, right. right. Yeah. We've been hearing a lot of, about um, people in Toronto being targeted because of their, uh, they're from a particular race. Yeah. Um, should the coronavirus be associated with uh, any particular race of people? The short answer is no, of course not. Yeah. Um, absolutely not. Um, the long answer is this. Um, I have also uh, heard about these stories that are happening in Toronto, especially in the York region. Um, and these um, instances have been denounced by Ontario Human Rights Commission. They've also been denounced by um, the World Health Organization. Yeah. And the Director General, uh, Dr. Tedros Adenham, um, he actually made reference um, during a World Health Organization press conference um, to these individuals and um, how there's a lot of stigma against um, the country of China right now and how individuals think that China is somehow responsible um, mm -hmm. for the um, creation and spread of this organism. Mm -hmm. And what he actually said was um, he um, commemorated China on their response because um, you have to think of what uh, China did in response to this new organism. They took the city of Wuhan um, with a population of 11 million people um, and they placed it on quarantine. Mm -hmm. They created a hospital in nine days. Yeah. Um, they shut down these um, they shut down so many borders during uh, the Lunar New Year which is the largest migration um, of people annually. Um, and they did that to protect themselves, and they did that to protect us as well. They did that for us. Could you imagine um, trying to isolate Toronto or something like that during Christmas? Oh my goodness. Wuhan is three times the size, three to four times the size of Toronto. Yes. Um, so no, it should not be associated um, with any particular race of people. Um, yeah. Microorganisms um, don't identify individuals by race, and you know, neither should we. No. Right? Yeah. Um, he actually had a direct quote, um, the Director General of the World Health Organization, that I really liked. Um, and he said, now is the time for uh, facts, not fear. Um, now is the time for science, not rumors. And now is the time for uh, solidarity, not stigma. So, I love it. Yeah, that was great. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really powerful when I heard it. Yeah. And that's why I wanted you to come on uh, the show with us to... Uh, give this a local perspective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Microorganisms don't discriminate. No, no. <laughs> right? right. Well, they discriminate based on individuals who practice those proper infection prevention and control tactics. They don't discriminate based on race. Yes, yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. <laughs>
Uh, if people were to come across uh, Facebook groups or chats about the uh, coronavirus, is that a, rel a reliable place to uh, get any answers that you're looking for? <laughs> um, Facebook and social media is a beautiful thing. It's allowed us to connect, you know, with our friends and family all over the world. Um, when it comes to obtaining objective, um, evidence-based information, it's probably not your best uh, <laughs> site to go to. Um, the problem with it is um, with news feeds and timelines, everything is on the same level. So say a post from the CDC or the Public Health Agency of Canada, yeah. if they post something that's evidence-based, um, you would see it right beside me making something up or something like that, or, you know, anybody's Uncle Ron making something up and putting it right there, it's all on the same level. Yeah. Um, so when you want evidence-based, uh, science-driven information, uh, I wouldn't recommend going into Facebook uh, feeds or just ensuring that the information that you are receiving from your Facebook feed is evidence-based and peer-reviewed. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. So where can people get reliable information? So we'll start locally and then we'll work our way up. Okay. Um, so Peterborough Public Health has its own website. Um, and we do have a web page specifically for the coronavirus. Um, a lot of questions are answered there as well. Um, if uh, your questions aren't answered through the information on our website, we also do have an extension that individuals could call should they have any further questions. Oh, and what's uh, that? That extension was the extension 401. So it's 705-743-1000 and that's extension 401. And that would be our coronavirus hotline. We do recommend you do view the website first, just because a lot of your questions would probably be answered there. Yes. Um, and then if you have any further questions, um, feel free to contact us. Okay. Um, going up from there, Public Health Ontario, as well as the Ministry of Health um, for Ontario, also are updating their websites regularly. Um, and they're providing updated information, as well as um, the World Health Organization, another reputable source, or mm -hmm. the Center for Disease Control website in the United States, yeah. um, another reputable source. Okay. Um, so there's plenty of uh, spaces to get um, evidence-based information. Okay. And uh, your website again? Yeah, so it's peterboroughpublichealth.ca. Okay, yep. perfect. Um, and then there will be a link right there on the home page that says Novel Coronavirus 2019. Give that link a click and it will take you to our web page. All right, good. So is there anything else that I, I should have been asking you? Um, I think the big one that we missed um, is what is the risk to Peterborough? Ah, right. Um, so the risk is so low. It's so small to the residents of Peterborough. Mm -hmm. um, and we actually have a pathogen in influenza um, that's circulating in this community mm -hmm. um, and that's causing hospitalizations. And we have um, plenty of cases. We're actually approaching the peak of our flu season as well. Um, the difference with influenza is that we actually have an immunization to it. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people right now, if we were to come up with, uh, you know, a novel coronavirus immunization, people would be on board. Yeah. We have a pathogen in the community right now that seems to um, behave a lot like novel coronavirus, and we have a vaccine for it. Um, so the influenza immunization is the number one way to protect yourself against the flu. Um, and that poses a higher risk to the community of Peterborough than um, novel coronavirus. Right. Okay. Um, it doesn't uh, cause any heightened concern that when Canadians who are in China at the moment come back here on the plane that has been sent over for them, that they're going to be isolated in uh, at Trent Trenton? 
that that doesn't cause any concern. So, um, I can't remember when that plane is supposed to land. However, uh, Public Health in Hastings, um, Prince Edward County, um, as well as Durham in the region, um, they have uh, procedures and policies in place, along with Public Health Ontario, um, along with the Ministry of Health. All these um, procedures are in place um, just to make sure that uh, we do take the effective measures to ensure that no spread of the novel coronavirus has occurred um, within the region. Um, as you're probably aware, we've had only four confirmed cases um, in Canada. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be two in Toronto, one out in BC, and then one in London, the most recent one. Um, and we're able to catch these four cases out of um, plenty of planes that are flying in from China into Canada because we have these systems in place. Mm -hmm. So. I don't think there's any concern at the current time about the plane returning to uh, to Trenton. All right. All right. Thanks so much for yeah. coming on and chatting with us. Yeah. We really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I thought it was a good idea for us to get that local perspective, Bob. Yes, indeed. We, we hear a lot, so much about the coronavirus from other uh, you know, whether it's national or international or whatever, but I just thought uh, it would be a good idea for you know, to talk with somebody from... Somebody that had the correct information yeah. and knew exactly uh, how to present it, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, Nathan gave us the uh, phone number and the website uh, if we want to check it out. And you have any questions or whatever, uh, don't hesitate to have a, a look at the website there. Right. Well, Bob, we have <laughs> uh, we have a, uh, a new thing happening here on the show. We're going to, it's going to happen monthly. On a Monday, yes. Yeah, on a Monday when our show is. And um, it's going to be called Get Together with Kim. And Kim Kilpatrick is a lady in Ottawa. As she works uh, with the uh, CCB in Ottawa, and uh, she is one of the coordinators of a CCB program called Get Together with Technology. And the bigger centers across the country have actual chapters, and they get together once a month and talk about some aspect of technology for people who are blind and visually impaired. It's amazing how much there's out there for, oh. for people that have any kind of handicap. Oh, definitely, yes. And just so much in the past, what, 10 years, I would say. Mm. Um, it, it just uh, keeps coming and coming. Um, and it's hard to keep up with. So we don't, uh, our chapter of the CCB doesn't have um, get together with technology, but I thought it would be a good idea if we chatted with Kim once a month uh, to talk about some aspect of technology. And um, so this will be our first uh, chat with her. Now, before we do that, though, there is a, a screen... Uh, uh, reading a program called Deck Talk. Deck Talk? Deck Talk. And they've, um, someone, uh, I don't know who it was, but uh, certainly a very clever someone, managed to get the program to sing 
Okay. So I uh, will start each uh, chat with Kim each month, uh, the first Monday of each month, with um, a song by Deck Talk. And uh, this one is called, I think it's called It's All Right, isn't it? Yes. Are we going to do that? Yeah, let's do that first, and then we'll go right into our chat with Kim. All right. They say it's all right. They say it's all right. Oh, it's all right. Have a good time. Cause it's all right. Oh, it's all right. Now we don't know who it's for. When the lights are low. When your mood is low, it feels like a moon. Cause it's alright, oh, it's alright. And now listen to the beat. And time to tap your feet. Yeah, oh, you got so. Everybody knows that it's alright, oh, it's alright. together with Kim in our first uh, monthly segment with Kim Kilpatrick, who is uh, a program coordinator with the Get Together with Technology uh, wing, I guess you'd call it, of the Canadian Council of the Blind. Hi, Kim. How are you? Hi, Gavin. I'm great. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, thank you for asking us me to do this segment for your listeners. Yeah, well, I thought uh, it might be a good idea to get a little bit of uh, uh, technology that you can kind of 
listen to again and digest and work with and that sort of thing. Now, you're one of three coordinators with uh, GTT, aren't you? Um, well, there's two main coordinators, and then there are other people. There's another one who um, trains, mostly training. You know, he does mostly training. Um, I was the original uh, person who got Get Together with Technology going even before I was hired by Canadian Council of the Blind to do it. Um, it kind of started to me from selfish reasons because I've been blind since birth and I use a lot of technology and I'm pretty tech savvy. Uh, I don't know how to program technology or anything, but I like playing with it and figuring out how to use it. I don't, I don't mind that part of it. But what was happening, say, uh, this was in about 2011, 2012, it's starting to be this big wave of technology changes. When, when you and I were first using technology, Devin, we would get a computer, probably a PC, uh, well, with a PC, yeah. with a screen reader with JAWS. Mm -hmm. It was always PC with JAWS and maybe a scanner with Kurzweil or OpenBook or something like that. Yeah. Um, and that was it. And then five years later, you'd get another one and you'd get a talking book player and it would be a you know, Victor Classic or a Victor... There were, there weren't a lot of choices, or if you were low vision, you'd get Zoom text yes. and a PC. And that was it. And those of us who use Braille, we might get a Braille display. Uh, but that would be all the choice you had. And then it started to explode with smartphones and tablets and apps and different types of uh, headphones and, you know, recorders, yeah. all these different things. and. And it was getting faster and faster, not just for us, but for the, the sighted world, too. But what would happen then is you would have to know, is this accessible to me and how accessible is it to me? And a lot of the devices you could then purchase off the shelf. So you didn't have to call a specialty place to get your computer or your smartphone or, you know, your recorder or headphones or whatever. People in the stores did not know what was accessible. They might tell you something wasn't accessible when it was, or they might tell you it was accessible when it wasn't, or it, it might be accessible, but they wouldn't know too much about how to set that up. Yeah. And I thought, you know, we need, I would love to have a group here in Ottawa, because that's where I'm from, where we got together and helped each other with this, because... Why reinvent the wheel? If I have stopped for headphones and found this is the most accessible Bluetooth speaker or headphone or smartphone or whatever it is, then I should be able to share my knowledge with other people or they with me. I can ask them, you know, what's the, what's the best smart speaker or what's the best uh, for this, what do I, what should I get if I'm doing this, or if I got a new phone, how do I set this up? Yeah. And it partly came from the first smartphone, uh, well, not smartphone, it wasn't, it was an iPod Touch. Oh, and yeah. I touched it, and it was a flat piece of glass, and I thought, there is no way that I'm going to know how to use it. I grew up with everything had buttons on it, and I thought I couldn't do it. 
they turned voiceover on, but they didn't know much more than that at the Apple Store. And so I spent you know, a long time trying to figure this out and going on the web. And, and I did get it, but I think I could have gotten it faster and been more comfortable if I knew there were people around me to, um, that had done that to give me some tips. Yes. So that is sort of how it started. Uh, we started here with some local money, and we just got together a group once a month here in Ottawa, and that was really how it started. And then it started to get more popular and bigger, and uh, then Canadian Council of Blind asked me in 2014 to come on board and try to get it in more places and more formats. So not even just the physical location, but we have the email support list, and we have conference calls and things like that. And, um, you know, so it, it was a I didn't know it would grow this big. I mean, it was a, I thought it was an idea that I thought was really important to me, and and I wanted to see if it would resonate, you know, with other people that are blind. And it, and it really did. And it's funny because at the beginning, some sighted people would say, "Well, just go to the Apple Store or the the carrier or the Best Buy, or those people will know." Well, they do not know, and, oh, yeah. and they can't know. How would they know when they don't use it every day? I mean, they can look it up, but you and I know things that mouse users don't know because we use keyboard commands all of the time. You know, we know things just because we use it every day that they don't know. So we actually know more than the sighted uh, retailers or know about these things because we have to because we use them all the time. So that's sort of how that program got uh, started and got going. And there's no better person to learn from, if you happen to be a blind person, than somebody else who is blind, don't you find? Oh, yeah. No, and, and I noticed from observing, I mean, I don't have any vision, but I noticed from observing other people teaching low vision people as well, what settings, you know, on their computer or their iPhone or reverse contrast or contrast or bold or these things, what might help them too. So I noticed, yeah, there's no better person to help you than a blind person. There are some sighted people who get to be pretty exceptional, like they, they, they really get into it and they learn it and they can be good. But I sort of feel, uh, well, I do feel that no better person to help you than a person who has that disability. And I, I'm sure on your show and I know on our radio show and people, um, if something happened to my my arm or if I broke my arm, I would reach out to somebody who had only uses one hand for some reason, you know, because they have little tips that I would never think of unless I had to know. And it's a kind of a similar way. If you temporarily need a, a walker, you would talk to hopefully find other people that use them all the time to say, you know, what should I do about this or a wheelchair? You know how sometimes yeah. you, those are the people that best know how to, how to go about using these things the most effective way. So I really feel that. Yeah. Aside, aside from the fact that the peer support, I mean, you and I have been blind. Well, I've been blind all my life. I think Me too. you have too. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. So we, 
we have lived as blind people all of our lives, but people new to vision loss. It's also that peer help and support, you know? Yes, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And, and there's such a valuable thing to know that and to sense that the people are... Um, are getting around, are living their lives. Yes. You know, like are doing what they do. And then they'll start asking me about guide dogs or how I cook or what what cane tip do you use or some other thing, you know, because it's not just, and it's not just the high-tech things we help each other with, too. So someone says, oh, I'm not tech-savvy and I don't want. But sometimes we'll talk about locators dots, you know, how to mark things or how to, um, how to, yeah, how to use a cane, what cane tips, what cane, you know, how to do something in the winter. So it's, that too is almost as valuable as whatever tech assistance we give each other, I think, to use that, just that support. It's kind of appropriate, isn't it, that we're having our first chat at the beginning of White Cane Week. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, White Cane Week is coming up. Uh, this Does it start on the Saturday? On I, Sunday. I don't even know. Sunday, uh, the 2nd to the 8th. Oh, 2nd. Yeah. Because I wasn't sure if it was the 1st to the 8th or the 2nd to the 8th. Mm -hmm. White Cane Week. So what uh, a bit of technology are you and I going to talk about this time? What I would just tell you is a couple of things to um, keep in mind in terms of when you get a new iDevice, so a new iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, uh, if you're totally blind. Okay. So um, one important thing then is to turn on voiceover, of course, because that is the screen reader that will talk to you. So I'm just going to tell you, I won't tell you maybe all the ways to get into that, we could talk through them, but I'll just say, if you have a new device in your hand, and even if someone's helping you, turn on voiceover and turn on the shortcut uh, to enable voiceover. So the triple click of your home button or your side button, depending on what device you have, um, will turn it on and off. So if you need a sighted person to look at, look at it and use it, you can turn it off, you can turn it on that. Um, you can also ask Siri to do it, but that's really important and that you listen to the speech rate and the voice. You can have various different voices that you use. Listen to it and get it set up the way you want so you feel comfortable. But one really important tip, too, is get someone to go into your control center and lock your orientation of your phone. That was the thing that was so hard for me at the beginning because they would tell you to do a gesture on your screen, like right one finger, and it wouldn't do the right thing, and it would say portrait, landscape, portrait, landscape, and it was doing something else. So to me, almost one of the biggest things is to go in there and lock your, your orientation so that when you turn your phone, it doesn't change what way your phone is perceiving it is. So sighted people, I guess, they like looking at it in a different, if they turn it, they like to see it. 
the other way on this screen, but for a totally blind person, there's no reason for that. So lock your orientation, uh, lock it there. And which do you think? Well, I like oh. portrait uh, with an iPhone. I don't, I don't know about an iPad. I like portrait orientation because it means that um, your phone looks like a rectangle, right? And it then does still look like a rectangle, so it's like a picture frame. So if I swipe right from my left edge of my phone case towards the right, it's doing what it says it's going to do. If I swipe up or down, again, it's doing what it says because it looks like a picture frame. Yes. Whereas when it's in landscape, well, it's kind of, you know, it's longer. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I like portrait, and I think most people, do you have yours locked in portrait? Yes, I, I do, yes. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that that's easier to find your way yeah. around that. So that's, I mean, I could go on a bit, but maybe that's enough of a tip. But just lock your phone in portrait or and do your triple-click shortcut for your your voiceover, and we can, you know, we can talk about others. Okay. Back and other things. We don't like to get overwhelming advice. You know when you get excited about tech and you give people, and then you say, and then you could do this. Yes. They, you know, it, it becomes too much. When I, I helped my mom, uh, my mom had never had an eye device, and when she was in her 70s, we got her one, and I helped her. And she was great because she would call me, and I always knew when it was a, tech call as opposed to a personal call. She has a certain tone of voice and she yeah. says, how do I do this? And I tell her and then I say, and then you could also do this. And she says, no, that's enough. Thank you. And hang up, you know, the phone because, and she was absolutely right. You shouldn't, it's like cramming the whole hot dog in your mouth. Right. And you don't want to do that. You got to take a bite and digest it and then go on to the next thing. Yeah. No, one more thing I will ask you though is, um, after having an iPhone all these years, I'm still not very good at all with gestures. How can I improve on that? So what I suggest everybody does is in your voiceover settings, so you can ask Siri to open voiceover settings, and in there there's a practice area. When you double tap on that, and it will it will talk to you and say this is you know if you double tap on that you're gonna with one finger you're gonna go into the practice area and when you're in that area that's where when you do a gesture it'll tell you what you're doing so it'll say one finger flick right right move to the next item and just keep practicing in that in that little box um, practice your one finger flick left and right because those are very important. Your one finger double tap, because that selects something. Your two finger double tap, because that's a big uh, play and pause that plays and pauses things. It also uh, starts and stops the recording, call, hangs up and answer, answers and hangs up a call. That's those four gestures. I mean, there's tons of others, but I would say try to do your... One finger flick right, one finger flick left, one finger double tap, two finger double tap in that area until you get them, you know, 90-something percent of the time, uh, and you'll be less frustrated by that. Okay. Now, now, if you can't do gestures well because of dexterity issues, 
then I would suggest, you know, you might get a Bluetooth keyboard or there are things you can get that, you know, help you that way because some people it's harder to do those. But that's, yeah. that's one thing I would suggest to try. Now, is there a difference between flick right and swipe right? Uh, no. Okay. No. One finger swipe right or left. I think it says flick right in when you go in the voiceover practice, but no, that's the same. So swipe right, one finger, swipe left. Okay. And, and double tap, one finger, double tap too. Alrighty. That would be my big suggestion. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Kim. Well, uh, thank you for calling me. Sure. And uh, we look forward... Plenty happy White Cane Week to everybody. Definitely, yes. And we'll look forward to um, chatting uh, at the beginning of uh, next month. Yes, that will be wonderful. And speaking about White Cane Week, uh, we do have some activities going on in um, Peterborough, and I would encourage you to take advantage of uh, everything. I know some people were at the Peterborough Square today, just uh, at the top of the uh, escalator there by McDonald's. And uh, we're going to be there tomorrow. And I say we because I'm going to be there from 12 to 2, and I know that uh, John and Lynn and uh, Debbie Thomas are going to be there. Um, so it's a good time to meet Devin. Oh, well, yeah. And Frankie here, dog. And Frankie, yeah. Guy dog. Yeah, that's right. And um, I would encourage you that if uh, you have any questions or you think of any as you uh, are walking by and you happen to see us, uh, by all means, come over and have a look and, and uh, ask us. Um, there's, if you don't know the answer, it's not a silly question. And you can always ask questions of you, Devon, about the Canadian Council of the Blind and what they offer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll have all sorts of brochures and pamphlets there about the CCB. And uh, we'll um, have a bit of a display of uh, whatever products we happen to have on hand, you know, devices, I guess I should call them, that uh, we happen to have on hand. So uh, uh, I think they're starting at 10 o'clock, and uh, I'm there from 12 to 3. And will you be doing some knitting while you're there? No. <laughs> no, not this no, time. I will not. <laughs> okay. No, I'm I'm not much of a knitter. All right. I was, uh, you and I were talking a little bit earlier about how I, I wish that uh, when I had been in school, and that was at the School for the Blind in uh, Brantford, I would have much preferred uh, to have gone to the piano tuning classes, but I had to go to the knitting. Some instead. do, for sure. Yeah, do that. and Debbie Thomas, uh, you know, uh, she's been on the show before, but I mean, uh, she's uh, a real top-notch knitter and uh, uh, craft person and that sort of thing, and her mother, of course, is. Yes, making so, the angels that she sends yes. to the troops. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I, I thought it would be kind of a good idea. Of course, we like to play music music. Uh, by Canadians, for yep. one thing, and then also by uh, people with disabilities. So yep. uh, we do have a, um, a piece uh, that uh, 
Fred McKenna. Do you remember Fred McKenna? From- I sure do, and what a fantastic uh, blind guitarist that Fred McKenna was. And I don't yeah. know about him now. I think maybe he's gone. Oh, yes, he is gone. Yeah. Um, I have uh, a friend in uh, Toronto who used to go to the uh, Halifax School for the Blind, and that's yes. where Fred McKenna went. He also played the accordion, didn't he? I don't know, but he can play the guitar very, very well, yeah. I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, so I thought that um, if he sang Rocky Top, that would be good. So... Uh, how are we doing for time there? Well, Bob? I think we've got time just to do that one song. All right. Well, so we'll see you next week, folks. And another Insight Peterborough. Yes. Have a good week. You bet. Bye for now. We said I was back on back in the Tennessee hills. Ain't no small beach smoke on Ain't no telephone beer. Once I had a gal on Arkansas, and near the other half cat. While as a mink but sweet as soda pop, I still think about that. Rocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home to me. Good old Rocky Top, Rocky Top Tennessee, Rocky Top Strangers climbed over up the top, looking for a moonshine still. Strangers ain't come down from Rocky Top, reckon they never will. Corn won't grow at all on Rocky Top, grounds to Rocky by far. That's why all them folks on Rocky Top keep their corn in a jar. Yeah.